In the pitch black of night, a captain saw some faint lights in the distance. And so he sent out a message uh, and asked his signalman, say, alter your course 10 degrees south. Almost immediately came a reply that said, alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was frustrated because his command had been ignored, so he immediately sent a second message and says, alter your course 10 degrees south. And almost just as quickly came another reply, alter your course 10 degrees north. So again, he said a third time, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. This is a battleship. Immediately, a third response came and said, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman, third class Jones. This is a lighthouse. (laughs) I begin with that story because it really does represent the tension of this section in Peter's letter, where the ongoing focus is on submission, which, if we're honest, is not something any of us are naturally inclined towards. Like the captain and the seaman, there is an unwillingness to submit. So when Peter says, for example, submit yourselves to all governing authorities, as he did back in chapter 2, verse 13, we are quick to respond with possible exceptions to that rule. He then says, servants, be submissive to your masters, and we push back with a knee-jerk reaction to stand up for our rights. And then this morning, Peter will carry this same focus into Marriage, introducing the idea of a a mutual submission between a husband and a wife. And instinctively, we start adding conditions to our compliance. I'll do my part as soon as they start doing theirs. There is an inherent unwillingness to submit. But but Peter wants us to understand that, that our obedience is never dependent Upon the other person. If you will look closely at the verses that we've walked through in the last several weeks, all the calls to submission came in the face of opposition. We're called to submit to governing authorities that at that time, just as they are now, were plagued with corruption. Masters were uh, often unreasonable and unjust. And now it says that husbands are disobedient. And marriage is hard. But faithful obedience is not dependent upon optimal circumstances. Like we see with Christ, our obedience is ultimately us putting our faith and trust in God. Even if that means laying down our rights or enduring injustice or loving the unlovable. Because that is exactly, don't miss this, that is exactly what Jesus did for us. The call to submission is simply a call to conform our lives into the image of Christ. See, Peter's not only just pointing us to this uh, countercultural lifestyle so that how we live looks very different than the world around us. The the fact of the matter is there is a conflict within our own fleshly desires because we want to be the captain of our own ship. 
directing the course of our life. But Peter's calling us to a life of submission, adjusting our course according to to our feet and the light into our path. Walking by the Spirit so that we do not carry out the desires of the flesh. In the end, faithful obedience always begins with a humble heart of submission. So before we look at God's word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we confess that we are naturally inclined to push back against humility and submission. There is a seed of pride from the curse of sin that seems to plague our lives. And we want to be able to, this morning, understand the ways that you are calling us to surrender and submit to trust in you. Our willingness to adjust our lives according to your commands, even if it's in conflict with some of our own personal desires. Lord, we are ultimately asking, would, would our lives be reflected more of, of you and less of us, being conformed into your image? And so, Lord, would you, in significant ways even, this morning, use this passage to do just that in our hearts and in our minds? We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. Another challenging passage filled with goodness. And so let's look at that together, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. It's important to notice here as you begin this passage that Peter starts by saying, in the same way. He'll use the exact same phrase back in, uh, later in verse 7 when he turns his attention to husbands. And he does this to protect the, the ongoing theme throughout this section of his letter. So if we were to make the connection, in the same way all Christians are called to submit to governing authorities. And he goes on to say in verse 13, for the Lord's sake. And then he goes on and says, in the same way servants endure harsh treatment, And then there's the connection, finding favor with God. In the same way, wives submit to your own husbands because, as it says in verse 4, your gentle and quiet spirit is precious in the sight of God. You see, the key connection is to do what is right in the eyes of God, even in the midst of various trials and struggles in life. Because governments are corrupt. Society is unjust, and in this case, the husband is disobedient. So so this is not about trying to trust in people who have earned our respect. This is about relying on God even when we are in a hard place. Because it says in verse 1 that a woman who relies on God 
can win the heart of her husband without a word. And I want you to notice that, that Peter is speaking specifically to the marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. So this is not about how all women are to relate to all men, nor is this a verse that husbands should ever, in any situation, point out to their wives. Okay, so let me be really, really clear for husbands like myself. Peter is not talking to you. Now, I'm I'm serious on this because I've seen it. I've seen this verse used as a weapon, and it is wrong. He is not talking to you. Your job is not to put your wife down because of all the ways she falls short. You are called to build her up, treating her with the utmost value and respect. But as we can see in verse 1, that's not what's going on here, right? This is a disobedient husband not fulfilling his role, perhaps as a a father or, or as a husband. But I think more likely in this context, they're not a believer at all. At least they're not acting like one. They are disobedient to the word. And so really, the goal is not for this man to become a better husband. Instead, being a better husband is the outcome of walking in fellowship with God. And he won't get there. This is part of the point of this passage. He won't get there through the nagging of his wife or even persuasive arguments. It says the husband is most influenced not by what they hear but by what they see. It is the wife's chaste and respectful behavior even or maybe even especially when it is undeserved. This is the testimony of a transformed life, living out of your new creation identity, where the beauty of the gospel is put on display in the life of this woman, which is very different than the external beauty that that Peter's pointing to by the makeup that you wear or the clothes that you put on or the jewelry that you use. Because external beauty draws attention to the woman. Internal beauty draws attention to God. Peter says it's a purity that is imperishable. It is gentle quiet spirit that is precious in the sight of God because ultimately these are qualities that reflect the life of Christ. Jesus himself said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, I am gentle and lowly in heart. It's the same idea as what we see here in 1 Peter. So, so really a godly wife is a woman who imitates the life of Christ. Loving her husband out of the overflow of God's love for her because here's the key her identity is not in her marriage in other words she doesn't find her self-worth in her husband's approval even to the point that if her marriage is a mess she can still be secure in her relationship with God because she belongs to him and he delights in her Her husband cannot withhold anything from her 
that Christ himself does not fulfill because she is not made complete in her marriage. She is made complete in Jesus Christ. Look at how he continues in verse 5. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So here's where Peter highlights holy women of the past to help make his point. And let's not just breeze past this because I think it's incredibly significant in a world where the importance of women is minimized that Peter makes a point to highlight the magnitude of their value. Don't miss this. In this case, he draws our attention to the relationship between Abraham and Sarah. And he points to the internal beauty of Sarah in her obedience to God, choosing to be submissive to her husband. And the language we see in verse 6 seems to point to a specific Old Testament account where, where God promised this elderly couple that they would have a child. And so I want us to look at that together. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 18. I want to look at several verses with you, and I'd love for you to follow along with me. Beginning in verse 1. Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him, by talking about Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes, he looked. Behold, three men were standing opposite him, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. And bowed himself to the earth, saying, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour kneaded and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran out to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to his servant. And he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them. And he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? He said, There in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. Behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham, Sarah, knew Sarah were in their old age and advanced. And so Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become so old, shall shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? This this term, my Lord, is not with a capital L, by the way. It's a lowercase l is an evidence of respect and appreciation for her husband. Goes on in verse 13 and says, The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child? For I am so old. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? 
So now what I want us to do is think about how Peter uses this Old Testament passage as an example of submission. Because at this time, Sarah was 90 years old. She was a barren woman who had literally spent her lifetime praying for a child that never came. And now at her age, she is well past her childbearing years, which is why she laughed when she overheard the conversation. But we need to understand that becoming pregnant at 90 is not only improbable, it's also very dangerous. Because it would be risky for both mom and baby which is why the doctors advised Terry's mom not to have another child when she was 41 years old. And thankfully, she ignored that advice, and Terry was born. But if a 40-year-old woman is a high-risk pregnancy, can you imagine a 90-year-old woman being with child? So, So Sarah was submissive to her husband by being willing to get pregnant. But ultimately, she was putting her trust in God because he was the one who was responsible for the impossible. She was putting her faith in him, and Hebrews confirms that in chapter 11. Verse 11, it says, By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. Sarah put her faith in God, and her faith opened the door to our salvation. Because through the lineage of her son, the Messiah would be born. Her faith overwhelmed any fear of getting pregnant at 90 years old, and God worked through the beauty of her obedience to bring salvation to the world. Look at how Peter continues in verse 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding manner, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So one of the things that I do when I'm preparing a message is I'll often have a lot of questions as I begin reading a passage. And I'll just write questions down, write questions down, write questions down. And one of the questions I had when I looked at this passage was, why did Peter take six verses to talk to wives and only one verse to talk to men? Now, I have an opinion that I could not confirm through all the theological commentaries I have read, but I'm pretty convinced it's because our attention span is only one verse long. (laughs) Wives, can I get an amen? You see, Peter was a man and a husband. And so what he says is very clear and yet very concise, even though he packs an incredibly powerful punch in just one verse. He begins by calling wives or husbands to live with their wives in an understanding manner. And I want to pause here because this is really important. The submission here is seeing your wife for who she is, not who you want her to be. See, marriage is a covenant commitment to a future love. 
and it does not rely on feelings. It's a decision to show love even if you don't feel love in that moment. Husbands, loving your wife is a commitment to be a student of her heart, finding the ways that communicate value and worth to her, appreciating her perspective, valuing her input. In fact, do you know who listens to every sermon I've ever preached before you ever hear it? My sweet wife does. Because I value her input more than anyone else. I'm a better man because of her. Not only that, I'm a better pastor because of her. And I want her to become everything that God has created her to be. A husband who is strong is sensitive to his wife, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Because as this verse goes on to say, she is a weaker vessel. Gosh, is there a more debated debated statement in in Scripture? You're probably wondering, how is he going to handle that, right? But let me just tell you right up front, this in no way speaks to any sort of an inferiority that a woman has compared to a man. In fact, in many ways, their intuition, intelligence, far superior to ours. So this has nothing to do with a woman's insufficiency. Listen to me here. It has everything to do with her vulnerability. Especially in the context of this letter where women were belittled by society. They were easily exploited and taken advantage of. And it was important for the husband to provide protection. Showing her his wife the honor and respect that she did not receive in society. I love the way Mark Hardy explained this to me years ago. I will never ever forget it. I don't know that they do this anymore, but back when we got married, one of the common things to receive was fine china. You had your everyday dishes, and you had your china. Well, Mark said, you would never take one of those pieces of china and throw it up with your everyday dishes. I mean, it would get chipped or cracked. It just wouldn't last. He says, what do you do? You keep it separate. You, You put it in a curio cabinet with a glass front. You shine a light on it so that it highlights its beauty. Because even though it's fragile, it's incredibly priceless. And husbands, the same is true with our wife. That's why Peter goes on to say, show her the grace of life that you have in common. She is a fellow heir with equal value and worth in the eyes of God, which is why Paul will write in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, and I'll just add here, neither husband nor wife. For all are one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Because keep in mind, marriage is an institution that does not exist in heaven. It is ordained by God only for the created order of this world. 
And as husbands, we are charged with the responsibility to steward this gift. Loving our wives, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.25, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, marriage is important because it was intended to reflect the beauty of the gospel. Creating the display of unity made possible because of a self-sacrificing love. As Gary Thomas reminds us, God didn't design marriage to make us happy. He designed it to make us holy. Which explains the consequences that Peter speaks to at the end of verse 7. Let me read that again. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Men, that should send a shiver of fear down your spine. Husbands may have only one verse, but it comes with the greatest weight. Because how we steward the relationship with our wife impacts our fellowship with God. And take notice, you do not see that implication with any of the previous examples. Because I believe husbands are being held to a higher standard here. We are called to be the spiritual leaders of our home, to be a student of our wife's heart, treating her with the utmost value and respect, protecting her from those who seek to exploit her, knowing that our failure will become a barrier in our relationship with God. And so with that in mind, husbands, let me speak to us first. We have been given a high and holy calling to cherish our wife above all others. Above our career, above our kids, above our colleagues, above ourselves. She is the daughter of the Most High King. And how we treat her matters greatly to him. In fact, you cannot separate the relationship you have with your wife from the relationship you have with the Lord. And how you treat her says something about how you feel about him. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And he goes on and says, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. In other words, God has entrusted us with the loving care of our wife. And she should become more radiantly beautiful because of our marriage, not in spite of it. So that when she is presented to God, she is better than when he first gave her to us. Much like the parable of the talents, we will be held responsible to that which ultimately belongs to him. We are stewards of the treasure he has entrusted to us. And wives, the success of your husband relies heavily on your support. He is motivated by your respect. He's strengthened by your encouragement. It's more important for him to know what he's doing right 
instead of all the things that he's doing wrong. He needs to know that no one believes in him more than you. Even if he's not the best spiritual leader you've ever seen. Even if you are a better spiritual leader than he is. Because that's ultimately not your job. What is your job is to help him become everything God created him to be. Because trying to control your husband is an act of rebellion against God. And listen, if you are in a marriage where your husband is disobedient, first, and I do mean this sincerely, I'm really sorry. Because I've seen it. I've seen the destruction. I've seen the trauma. And I'm incredibly sorry. Because that's not the way it's supposed to be. And if that disobedience leads to abuse, that is not something you endure. Do you hear that? Please reach out. Get some help. And for that matter, any marriage that is in a hard place needs to invite others in. I've seen it over and over and over again. Hidden sin will destroy marriages and ruin lives. Don't let it happen. Invite others in. We want to be a church where it is a safe place to walk through hard things because isolation always leads to destruction. That's what the enemy wants. So let's be committed as a church body to honor the Lord by being willing to go into those hard places together, to fight for the sanctity of marriage for the sake of the gospel, to walk humbly in faithful obedience. Knowing that a life of submission is what conforms us into the image of Christ. Because let's think about this. Just look back on what we've been walking through in the last weeks. And let's remind ourselves that Jesus submitted to governing authorities even when it led him to death on the cross. That he endured injustice, entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And even though he wasn't married, he was abandoned by every single person who was close to him. And in our relationship with him, guess what? We are the weaker vessel. And yet, we are lovingly protected by his tender care. Our ultimate goal is to become more like Christ. Less of me, more of him. And that begins with submission, because submission is not a sign of weakness. It's actually the evidence of faith, because you are entrusting yourself to God, even when your circumstances are not optimal. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word. even amidst the challenges of our world. Lord, if there is any one issue that we face in this church and that we see in Christianity across the globe that the enemy seems to be most attentive to, it is 
creating destruction within marriages. So, Lord, there may be no more timely message of the importance of the sanctity of what you created than the guidance that you've given us in these seven verses. So, Lord, I would just ask that you use your word by the power of your spirit to speak deeply to our hearts. And in those places that you would direct us towards something different, something better, I pray that even as we close with this song today, that there would be a sincere commitment to walk out of this place living and committed to something different than when we walked in. Lord, we trust you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Um, This is one of several difficult passages that we've looked at in the last few weeks, isn't it? And one of the things that I want you to know as I prepare these passages is I try to do my very best to stay true to the text in the context in which it was written, knowing that it can't possibly speak to every possible scenario that you and I face in life. It has some powerful truths. One of the things I worried about as I worked through this passage is, what about the single people in our congregation? This is about husbands and wives. But I want you to know that one of the married or whether you're single, your identity is found in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where you are complete. And you can thrive for a lifetime having never been married because you have everything you possibly need in Jesus. You're full, complete, and sufficient. And I want you to know that. For those of you who are getting married, this is an important passage because it helps you realize the weight of responsibility that both husbands and wives have towards one another. And you want to be able to make this commitment going in, not as you go. So be ready. Leave, cleave, and commit to God's best. For those of you who have been in a divorce, again, I'm sorry, because I know that is never anything that comes without scars. But again, you are not defined by the success or the failure of your marriage. You are defined because you are complete in Christ. And the Lord can do incredible things in your life. And he leads, if he leads into another marriage relationship, then as a church family, we want to help you guys be fully complete and, and fulfilled in that relationship that you have with each other. And if he chooses not to lead you in that direction, we want you, you don't need complete in who you are as a single man or a single woman because Jesus is enough. You don't need more than that. So even though it didn't speak to all the possible scenarios, I want you to know that our heart is to care for every scenario that's possible as a church family as we walk through life together. And so I just want you to hear our heart and our love for you, no matter where you are in life and stage. But I hope that what we read this morning as it relates to husbands and wives goes deep into our heart because it is very counter to what we see in the world. This is what God has called us to. Men, we have a responsibility as husbands to cherish our wife above all others. And and wives, your love and respect is what allows us men to fulfill the responsibility that God has given us. And I'm grateful. Because I have a beautiful example of what that looks like. 
grateful. So let me just pray for us and thank you for walking through this together this morning. Lord, I'm grateful for this family. And Lord, I just hope that in the midst of all that we've walked through, that one, we understand your heart, most importantly, your heart to lead and guide us to your highest good. This was all your idea. And so if there's anybody who knows what makes marriage fulfilling, it's you. Because you created it for that purpose. And so, Lord, I do pray that as husbands and wives, we submit to your guidance beyond any wisdom or counsel that this world may try to offer, that we trust in you more than we trust in ourselves or anyone else around us. Lord, I just pray for no matter where we are in our stage of life, that as a church family, we may bring value and support to every person where they are in life because of where you're leading them. If that's single, then let it be. If it's married, then let it be. If they're struggling and in a hard place, may we enter into that place with them, all striving to live in a way that brings glory and praise to your name. That is our heart and our prayer. We ask this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.